Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? These words that John sends to Jesus are heartbreaking. They're really sad words. Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Did I get it wrong, John is asking Jesus. Did I set my hopes on something I shouldn't have bothered hoping for? They're especially heartbreaking when we remember who John the Baptist is and his history. John the Baptist is the cousin of Jesus. John the Baptist is the first person to publicly proclaim and recognize Jesus as the Messiah. John the Baptist, just last week, we saw him at the Jordan River. And he is all in for Jesus. He has put all of his eggs in that Jesus basket as being the Messiah. He's given up any sense of a normal life. He doesn't have a normal job. He's not a merchant or a carpenter or anything like that. He's a fiery preacher in the middle of the desert. He doesn't eat normal things. Instead, he's eating raw honey and locusts shouting at religious people to repent, to watch out, because Jesus is coming. He's the Messiah. He is all in. When Jesus describes John the Baptist in our reading today, he asks, what did you expect? A reed that would sway in the wind, shaken by the wind? And what Jesus means by that is a reed will bend when the wind blows so that it doesn't break. That's not John the Baptist. John would rather break than bend. John is uncompromising, will not bend when it comes to his passion, his ideals, and his faith. Jesus is the one, and he would rather break than bend on that truth. And John the Baptist, here we see just the difference from last week to this week, is now has doubt in his heart, has fear in his heart, feels hopeless, asks the question of Jesus, the once fiery, confident preacher asking Jesus, are you really the one, or are we to wait for another? John the Baptist asks this question from a prison cell. He's been arrested by King Herod, a ruthless and vicious and cruel tyrant for calling out his sin. John the Baptist was hoping in Jesus that he would come and set this world right, that cruel tyrants like King Herod would be cut down and the righteous lifted up. And ironically, it looks like John the Baptist is the one who's going to be cut down. Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? John the Baptist asked the question that so often we're too afraid to ask ourselves. We feel the same way as John the Baptist. If John the Baptist, for all of his confidence and knowing that Jesus is the Messiah, can fall this low in doubt and fear, anybody can. You and I can. That question is ours as well. It's been over 2,000 years since Jesus was born since all of those hopes and expectations that we thought they were going to come to fruition, that the world would be set right. We as followers of Jesus proclaim that 
proclaim Christ crucified and risen. We proclaim that Jesus has defeated the power of sin and death. The victory has been given to him, and he has in turn given it to us. And yet, fear and doubts and hopelessness creep into our heart when we look around the world and we wonder, was Jesus really the one? Has he really set everything right? We still see poverty and hunger in our world of abundance. We still see tyrants just as bad, if not worse, than King Herod ruling from their thrones. We still deal with sickness and death. John's question might as well be ours. Are you really the one, Jesus? Or do we still have to wait for another to set this world right? And what we really want, what John the Baptist wants in asking this question, is for Jesus to hear us. To see and hear our pain, our questions, our doubts, our worries, and to respond. There were three teenagers, ages 16, 16, and 17, who were convicted of murder, found guilty, and were sentenced to life in prison. They were tried as adults. And it turns out a couple years ago that some new evidence came forward that proved that they were wrongfully convicted. For 36 years, these children, these teenagers, sat in a prison cell, had their lives taken away from them. They went into prison as teenagers and came out as adults in their mid-50s. You can imagine the pain and the sorrow, the feelings of hopelessness that these kids and then later adults felt. And more than anything, they wanted to be heard, to be seen to have their pain and their sorrow acknowledged, to be treated like human beings with love and compassion, to be believed when they said that they were innocent. Alfred Chestnut was one of these boys. He was 16 years old when he was brought in. And every day of his 30 years, 36 years of imprisonment, he maintained his innocence. And on the day that he was released, it was a bittersweet day. It was sweet because after 36 years, he got to enjoy freedom. But it was bitter because very little of the life that he had left still remained 36 years later. For two out of three of these men, both of their parents had died while they were in prison. They didn't have the opportunity to start a family, to start a career, to build a community outside the walls of that prison. On the day he was released, Alfred Chestnut had reflections to share, had some thoughts about his time in prison and what his release meant. He said, It's a lot of guys that I left behind that are in the same situation that I'm in. They need a voice. I had an opportunity, by the grace of God, to have someone who heard me. I had an opportunity by the grace of God to have someone who heard me. What Alfred Chestnut wanted is the same thing that John the Baptist wanted, is the same thing that we want. To have someone who hears us, 
who hears us when we cry out in pain or in fear, who hears us when we say that we need help, that we need to be set free. And Jesus heard John the Baptist, just as he hears us. John sent messengers over to Jesus to ask this question, if Jesus really was the one to express his fears and his doubts. Jesus didn't ignore them. He didn't rebuke them or chastise them. But Jesus heard them. He heard that message from John the Baptist. He heard his pain, his doubt, and he responded. He answered Jesus answered. He said, go tell John what you see and what you hear. Tell John about how you see God in the midst of this troubled and this broken and this often cruel and sin-filled and death-filled world. How you see God in the midst of it all. Not shying away from it, but engaging with it. Transforming it. Bringing life and forgiveness and renewal to this world. Tell them about people who are healed and made whole. Who are brought back into community who were once shunned. Tell them about the dead being raised to life. Tell them about what you see and what you hear. What do you see and hear? Where do you see God active in this world? In the midst of this trouble, where you see hope. I'm going to start by saying that's not rhetorical. So if anyone wants to share it this time, where do you see God in the midst of this world, bringing hope and new life where there previously wasn't? So you've seen God at work. A couple places I've seen God at work. I see it in the generosity and the giving of God's people. You know, I think of this world that's so full of hunger and poverty, and yet there are people that are moved by the Spirit of God to give what they have, whether it be their financial resources or their time or their labor. Just down the hall, Peace to Justice is one of these places where I see that. Over 500 people and families receive Thanksgiving meals that they wouldn't have had otherwise. And it's going to look like over 500 more to receive Christmas dinners that they wouldn't have otherwise. That's where I see God at work. I see God at work and people who are fighting for justice and for uh, the dignity of all of us. 
people who are advocating for people like Alfred Chestnut, who was wrongfully accused and was in prison for that time. Um, Brian Stevenson is one of them. He wrote the book Just Mercy, and there's a movie version coming out in a couple of weeks. Uh, and he was a lawyer who represented people on death row, people who were often innocent of the crimes that they were accused of, to treat people with dignity and respect and love and compassion. And I'm a pastor, so it's not because I have to say it, but I really do believe it. But I see God in the midst of God's word and how it works on people's hearts. When I see a child read the words of 1 John that God is love in Sunday school, and their eyes light up knowing that they are loved by God just for who they are, I see God in the midst of that. I see God in the midst of funerals, when we're face to face with the power of death, and Psalm 23 is read. When I see that comfort that comes over the people who are gathered, if only for a moment to know that their loved one and someday they will be escorted, will be carried through the valley of the shadow of death by our good shepherd, that we don't have to fear evil because of it. I think of the sacraments. When I see uh, someone being baptized, whether they be a child or a teenager or an adult, receiving the promises of God to die to sin and to be raised up to new life. Not because of anything they've done or haven't done, but just because God loves us. Or I think of Holy Communion. When people come forward, hands outstretched, whether they be two years old or 92 years old, wanting that grace and love of God. And to receive it. To receive the love of God so much so for us that God will withhold nothing, not even the body and blood of Jesus, in order to forgive us and raise us up to new life, to be with us. John the Baptist had his fears, had his doubts. No doubt we have and will have our fears and doubts too. John the Baptist's question is our question. Are you the one, Jesus? Are you really the one who's going to set this world right? And when we have those fears and doubts, Jesus doesn't turn us away or condemn us, but he hears us. And he calls all of us as a church, a reminder to ourselves and a call for us to remind each other about where we see God at work in this world, where we hear and see God bringing wholeness out of brokenness, bringing healness healing out of worry, bringing hope out of hopelessness, and bringing life out of death. As we draw closer to Christmas, we remember that Jesus came into this world, flesh and blood, in the midst of this world, for all of its brokenness and all of its sin and its death and its messiness and its ugliness, the Son of God came into this world so that we might hear and see him. Amen.